And we're back with Cinema Cemetery. I'm Dan. And I'm Kate. And we've got special guest Flannery with us who might be making an occasional declaration. Uh, though I don't think she'll know too much about this week's episode. Kate, we're at episode 75, <laughs> and we're into 2002. It's like we're back mm-hmm. in high school again. It's just like that, but a little different. We have more money this time. Yeah, though with inflation, it's starting to not feel like it quite as much. <laughs> wow, you really went for the the downers sure okay but it's just as vibrant and lively as high school just kidding we were very lame goody two shoes we did nothing but school and activities it came out during our freshman year which is hard to believe 20 years ago 2002 and kate this movie was actually the first one that i saw prior to it winning the award I think I've done it a ton of times since. Did um, this spark something in you, Daniel? No, no, it actually didn't. <laughs> um, that happened about six years later, and I'm sure I'll talk way more about it when we get there. But this was the first one that um, I was able to see. Now, the, previously there had been movies I'd heard of before, like Forrest Gump and Braveheart, but this was the first one I actually saw in advance. Wow, that's exciting. Um, I believe I saw this in theaters so I believe I saw it before the awards but also I was not paying attention to Academy Awards I was pretty locked into the Emmys with my West Wing obsession so I didn't even know that it had won just like last episode I think was a snub uh in other words or rather the movie that should have won was snubbed but again we understand why this came out the same year as 2002's The Two Towers which some would argue is the best of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I would not be one of those people. Uh, I think Fellowship of the Ring is the best, and we'll be talking about the the third movie next week. But uh, but this movie was good compared to last week, especially when we talked about uh, the the Beautiful Mind. Uh, I think this one we both uh, had some had some high praise for, even though. It, it yeah. might not even have been the best movie of that year. I think it's one of the better best pictures we've seen in some time. Yeah, I would agree. I think I went in skeptical, a healthy skeptic <laughs> of thinking that it probably wasn't going to be as good as I'd remembered because this is not a movie I rewatch over and over again, but I've seen the stage version a couple of times. And yeah, I would say all in all, this was a thumbs up experience for me. We're about three minutes into the podcast, and even though we've been talking about it, we've never stated the title of the movie. (laughs) We'll give you all a hint. (laughs) It's in the title of this podcast episode that you clicked on. It's Chicago. (laughs) Wow. Directed by Rob Marshall, starring Catherine Zeta-Jones, Renee Zellweger, and that twinkle in his eye, Richard Gere. Oh, I remember the moment that this one best picture, Michael Douglas, and I believe it was Michael Douglas and Kirk Douglas, but I know it was Michael Douglas. He announced that the winner was Chicago, and he had this inside joke. I don't know if it was just with his wife or with other members of the cast, but he was said, if Chicago doesn't win, I'm going to tear up the card and then read the name, you know because I'll pretend yeah. I'm angry or something. And so they get up there right. and they get the card, they open it, they rip it up, and then they laugh and say, it's Chicago, right? So they, they faked him <laughs> out. And so that's that's uh, the only real moment of, of the Academy Awards that year that I remember, the, the fake out 
uh, with the Douglases. But yeah, Catherine Zeta-Jones, probably at the height of her brief popularity. Renee Zellweger, probably at the height of her brief popularity. We have Richard Gere, post-peak. I would say she was in the middle of her, her popularity. That's like what height means. Rolling. The height. No, I was, no, I don't think she hit her peak. That's what I'm saying. I think she was still gaining momentum. What did she do that was bigger after this? Um, she did that movie about boxing and all of the Bridget Joneses and other things. Jit. This is mid Bridget Jones. Mid mid Jit, not like midget, but like mid Bridget Jones. So this um, is peak. You seem to forget the third Bridget Jones that came out not too long ago. So I just feel like maybe you're not a true fan. Kate, I think I <laughs> I liked the third one, even though I never saw it. But I did not like it enough. <laughs> did not I didn't like it enough to show up uh, three hours early <laughs> to an empty theater uh, just in case anyone wanted to see Bridget Jones 3 on a so Tuesday. <laughs> It was on a Tuesday. It was a Friday. And what had happened was Facebook kept telling me that everyone was very hype about Bridget Jones's three. I forgot about algorithms advertising towards, you know, people. And obviously I was a prime candidate for the third Bridget Jones. So I bought tickets for me and a couple of friends, one of them being Dan's wife, and made them go very early because I was worried we wouldn't get a seat. I'm cool. She was there successful. Was no they found a seat and they saw the movie. <laughs> was, uh, the entire theater was our seat. The entire theater. <laughs> no they, one was there. They they did it. So there there has not yet been a Bridget Jones four, uh, and perhaps that's that's the reason. So oh, who knew that Marv would be the first one to chime in? Though Flannery is is making a a run at it here. So Kate, I know. Teresa is not here to give us a nine minute summary of Chicago. <laughs> Which one of us should step up and take the lead here? Um, is it? I think I'm feeling. I think I'm feeling ready. Um, I'm nervous, but I think that's a good nervousness. So I'll do it. Um, okay. Take a deep breath. It's been a minute. So Chicago is a movie musical about following these two characters about. They, they've each killed respective people. One is a show person, Velma Kelly. The other one, Roxy Hart. She's just a, a lady trying to break into fame. She has an affair, but the guy that she's having an affair with breaks it off with her, so she kills him. So we open with two murders, Velma Kelly murdering her sister and Roxy Hart murdering her lover, and they both get put in jail, and then they both have subsequent trials in the 1920s when it's all about, like, glitz, glam, and winning the media wars without social media. Um, so we're following them and their attorney. What's his name? Richard Gere. And it, did I do it? Flynn. I feel like I didn't. Billy Flynn. And uh, this is set in a major Illinois city, correct? Nah. Twin it, Pauls, like Twin Twin Cities? St. Paul, Saint Minnesota? St. Paul. St. Paul, it's actually set in. It's actually set in yeah. Springfield, but... They couldn't get the rights to Springfield, so they named it Chicago. Yeah, no, Kate, I think that's a pretty solid summary. So this is a movie based on a musical, based on a play, or based on a book. How far back it's do a, we have to go? There was a play in the 20s, and then in the 70s, they made a Broadway musical, and then in the 2000s, they made a movie about the musical, about the play. So I think and, you did it right. And the musical is 
Chicago, Bob, Chicago, Chicago. Bob Fosse Productions. So if you've seen, Fosse. if you've seen Pippin or I'm not, what what are what are his other major hits? This is very much in the. I'm going to be honest. I didn't style. know that Bob Fosse did Pippin, and that's on me. That's on me. There is a line out there on the internet that says the only man that can tell a woman what to do with her body is Bob Fosse. And some people, <laughs> some people find that that funny just because of his of his talent. <laughs> I only know his. I mean, but he's Pippen. not wrong. Yeah. Huh. So so yeah. So this movie is on the, on the plot wise, it's it's really not all that complicated. You've I've really just the three main characters. You've got Velma Kelly, uh, Catherine Zeta Jones. You've got Renee Zellweger as Roxy Hart, and then Billy Flynn, Richard Gere, and then you've got some side characters. You've got Roxy's husband, played by John C. Riley. And Queen Latifah plays Mama, the warden. And then there's a few others as well. But really, you can boil it down to those main three. And uh, I think the nice thing about it is, especially after the past couple movies we've seen, uh, with these big sweeping epics, uh, the past past two and, and most of the past few, I mean, I think uh, Beautiful Mind was an exception. This was all sort of in a couple scenes. We had an apartment. We yeah. have a lot of it's in a prison and uh, the courtroom. And, and you can do this in a, a pretty modest setting, I would imagine, in the original stage show. Kate, you've seen that stage show. What What is that experience like? Yeah, I have. And actually, it doesn't move as smooth. And yes, there's only a few physical locations, which does make it easier. Um it's rather flat. It's rather two-dimensional. It's still good, I would say, if you have the opportunity to go see Chicago. But the movie gives a depth and a 3D-ness and a roundedness of all the, the storylines and the characters that the stage just can't do. Mo the movie, and I, I would imagine this is true, is almost all sung, right? There are a couple lines here yeah. and there, but but very little ground between songs, especially compared to... I mean, think about even West Side Story. West Side Story probably had far more dialogue than than this. We have to go back a little yeah. bit. Gigi had far more dialogue than this, um, but not oh, quite Les sure. Misérables where they're they're sing talking or rent or anything. But it's really just vehicles to get from song to song. Uh, I, I think we can probably just dive right in. What what do we think this did well? And uh, because it's a musical, we we want to be talking about the songs. What were those those favorite numbers that we witnessed in this movie? I all of them. <laughs> I was thinking all of them, even now as we're like talking about, I'm singing them in my head. I would say, so expanding on the characters and the situations at hand in a way where, you know, you would have the characters singing a fanciful song in their head or maybe a character's performing, you know, in a club and then it cutting that opening scene where Velma Kelly is singing and Roxy and they're like cutting over to Roxy with her, her, um, her lover there. This is great. It keeps you entertained. The pacing is very quick. Um, and you're always sort of just moving along to the next thing in a really nice way. I Oh, go ahead. Were you going to say something? This is, so this is a great example of the balance that, or, or rather the struggle that movie musicals struggle with. Do you take a stage show and make it realistic? And this is what West Side Story sort of tried to do, but it didn't work, right? Why are they snapping right. and dancing when... You're not on stage. You're actually in the street. Let's show an actual fight. 
but this was able to do both at the same time. It shows Velma Kelly singing in this rather small, crummy club and the, the physical limitations of that actual space. But then they cross-cut with her in basically music video mode, uh, complete, you mm-hmm. know, Las Vegas mode and where, where she is completely dolled up and she has far more resources. And so there's the version in her head. There's the non-diegetic version, there's the the theater version, and then there's the real version. So you see both at the same time, and it kind of solves that classic musical joke, like, why are they all bursting into song? Well, it's the idea that the songs, some of them are actually happening, like all that jazz to start, but then some of them are not actually happening. It's it's in the characters' minds. Like Roxy Hart. Um, (laughs) I would say also... There isn't, I I mean, it wasn't, Richard Gere obviously was not a a Broadway performer per se, or at least known for that. And Catherine Zeta-Jones, I guess, had a background in theater and musicals. And, but I didn't know that before they threw her up there. And Renee Zellweger was new with her. She also did that, that musical with uh, Ewan McGregor. What was it? Oh, I can't remember, but newish to that, that thing. So obviously they don't have. Rouge, was she? That's not what you mean, right? No, 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 no. It's uh, they're oh, something about airlines. I'll look it up. Um, but so they played to the strengths of the characters and uh, the performers. So it wasn't like oh, we're gonna make them do all these dances and do it badly, or we're gonna give them these really complicated things and they'll do it badly. Um, they let everyone play to their strengths, which didn't give you a Russell Crowe scenario. I think drove and the and the characters drove a lot of the songs and the editing mm-hmm. was really what drove it too. There you were not a lot of long cuts. We were cutting between Mm-mm. the real and the fake and then even within those realities we were going all around. And this was Rob Marshall's first not first movie period, but first major work and so very impressive uh, on that field. Down with Down with Love is what I was thinking of. That was in 2003. She was like really killing it. 2001 to 2000 like six she was putting out a movie or two a year anyway I do wonder was this made uh, the timeline they're too close together was this made as a reaction to moulin rouge was it like yes people will buy this now let's go do chicago for real or is this one of those bugs life ant situations where both of them were in the pipeline at the same time to compete with each other because this was a pretty close release windows uh, I know it's early I don't, 2000s, wait, right? Moulin Rouge was either 2000 or 2001, and this was 2002. Uh, Moulin Rouge was 2001, this was 2002, and then Down With Love was 2003. So was it all in reaction to each other? Was it they were all in the same pipeline? In my mind, when I was a kid watching this, I was like, you and McGregor did Moulin Rouge, and that was a surprise. Renee Zellweger did Chicago, and that was a surprise. And now they're in Down With Love because they did those other two movies. Like, that's what I thought was going on. It would almost certainly be because of Moulin Rouge. It's just, I mean, Chicago's probably not because that's a quick turnaround. You can't make a movie. But, the, you know, you get the, the one that says it's okay, and then I bet they poured more resources into this to get the, get the awards, and they did. And and yeah. went on from there. What were so no favorite songs or, or no uh, just the the first one you mentioned? Um, uh, so um, I can't do it alone is like in my head right now. But also the both reached for the gun, Mister Cellophane, Roxy Hart. Roxy Hart is always ongoing in my head. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, what about you? 
that jazz is probably the, the, the one of the signature songs, maybe the signature song of the show. I think it's oh, one of those. It's the season. Yeah. It's timeless ones. And uh, the Cell Block Tango is one of the the premier ones as well. I think they did an excellent job with that, uh, combining the the realism of a prisoner telling a story in jail, you know, in their prison uniforms with the you know, very stylized uh, cell block choreography. Uh, even just the the dancing in order to reenact the murders, right? We we would see a shot of it in real life, and then we would see it uh, done with with the the costumes, and they would use the you know the, the red handkerchief to to symbolize the blood. Thought that was interesting. Uh, but yeah, the oh, yeah. the ventriloquist scene that you mentioned is probably my favorite the both reached for the gun because we have the actual press conference and then we cut back and forth to this highly choreographed sequence where every character is made up like a ventriloquist doll except for billy flynn and he is basically using both roxy and the entire press corps as puppets and so you see well yes if this were all on stage that's what it would look like and then if it were real that's what it would look like so i think that was the the best example of using the the film medium to put a musical on stage, and I don't think I think even looking back to Sound of Music and looking back to West Side Story, uh, and looking back to what was the other big one? What not Gigi, but uh, those two, My Fair Lady, all, right? Uh, My even, Fair Lady, even Oliver. Looking back to those, Oliver. Uh, this was the best example of saying yes, movies and film. It's different than the stage show. We're not just gonna go outside and make a musical. We're not just gonna do it on a set that's really big. We're we're actually gonna be able to use this to our advantage and so that really stood out to me i mean in general i would say this movie musical took the elements from the stage kept them as much as possible and then made its own thing right it's its own thing like david pumpkins they they added elements and enhanced the story in ways that i don't think other movie musicals did and they also took out a lot of songs that i loved but you don't miss it because you want the movie is so like concise and you want to keep it that way so i'm happy they cut those songs out stage show and um when i let's move into criticisms here my only critique is the movie like a lot of musicals is uh oh there she is she is having her cons as well the the musical's front heavy i think the best stuff happens in the first 40 minutes once you get the gist of it you're kind of over it. Uh, the cellophane song is a nice little one, um, but the, the end song is lackluster in comparison. I'm not a huge fan of Roxy Hart, and this is not a fault of the movie, but I think they get their best stuff in early, and then about an hour in, I was cool. And I, But yeah, I mean, thank goodness it was, only, it was an even two hours. Thank goodness they trimmed it down from normal musical length because it would have been quite a drag, I think, on the other side. Oh, I agree. I think the second half of the movie, you're just kind of waiting for those highlights. Like you're just waiting for the next song because you want to see the next song. So yeah, I'm in. I'm in agreement there. That's probably my only critique as well. Um, yeah, I got nothing. So this is you know, and we're still 20 years old. It seems like it's modern, but 20 years old. Uh, does it still does it still hold up, or does it feel like yeah, that's a that's an early 2000s piece? I know with Beautiful Mind and Gladiator, it had that. 2000s nest to it i i think you could probably put this movie on 30 40 years from now and it would hold i don't think because yeah i don't think technology wise it's going to cause a problem i think story wise you understand it's a period piece no matter what 
Um, yeah, I think it'll hold. I think aside from one or two not great backdrops uh, with CGI, um, this this could be made today, and this is probably better than than La La Land, probably better than than most of the other movie musicals I've seen since. Um, Did you just critique La La Land, the golden child of movie musicals of LA? It didn't even win Best Picture, so a lot of people <laughs> critiqued it. I. It's not even I'm on our list. I'm just kidding. People, people went ape shit over La La Land. I just think it's funny that you La were La like, La Land eh, was fun. No, I'm just saying that one, that one has almost the 2010s-ness to it, whereas this one, I think if you told me this was made in the, in the 90s or if you told me it was made in the 2020s, I'd believe either one. But 2002 is, I is fine. I, again, I don't yeah. think it was better than The Two Towers. The Two Towers was just larger in scope and scale and story <laughs> and source material. Um, but... But if I had to go with any other movie from that year, uh, I think this is this is a solid pick. What were the other movies from that year? I don't know. I'm I'm limited in my ability to uh, to do any searching right now. I, I, oh, is this I'll the year that Shakala was was nominated? Uh, I don't know. Look up Best Picture. I want to hit 2003 because they always do it in the opposite so, year. So the the pianist, the mm-hmm. pianist. And Gangs of New York, and The Hours, Lord of the Rings, Two Towers, and Chicago. So it's all Those of these were... movies are all movies I hear that were like well praised, but not fun to watch. So I've actually never seen The, the Hours others. is not The Hours is not fun to watch at all. Um, I have not seen The Pianist, and I haven't. You know, I haven't seen The Gangs of New York, and I still need to. Isn't that a Daniel Day-Lewis flip? That's what's interesting. That's one of those movies that it has all the right ingredients, right? It, it It's Martin Scorsese. It's, it's Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. It's Leonardo DiCaprio. And uh, it's this big, stylized, sweeping epic. But yet, I always kind of get this negative vibe from it, as though there's something wrong with it. Um, and that's why I've never made it there. Maybe, just, maybe I was just rooting against it at the time, and I've always kind of held that against it. You know. know what? John C. Riley's in that movie too. That was a big year for him. Way to go, John C. Riley. He was really busting into films. Yeah, but he hadn't hit his biggest performance yet in Step Brothers, Talladega Nights, which then, of course, led <laughs> to Step Brothers. Yes, <laughs> Shake and Bake. Step Brothers yeah. is our Step Brothers is much better than Talladega Nights. Like so much room for activities. <laughs> Catalina Wine Mixer. We could actually watch that. Have you ever seen that? It's great. Have I ever seen Step Brothers? Yeah. Kate, I've saw it in theaters. <laughs> I, I I've been there from the really? beginning. Yeah. No. Yeah. I didn't know you like Step Brothers. We've never talked. I'm on not it. A, a frequent rewatcher of Step Brothers, but I yeah I I was there from the start. <laughs> How did I miss this? That's hilarious. I discovered it all by myself. I watched it one Christmas break like twice. It's one of those movies that has better jokes in the deleted scenes and cut stuff. I remember the trailer had a funnier version of the bunk bed sequence than than in the actual movie. Um, so I like to quote that a lot. I mean, Will Ferrell. They only said ha- this like, doesn't just... this doesn't feel secure, but I know it is. And then crunch. <laughs> it falls. Yeah. I mean, they just put a camera on Will Ferrell and tell him to go. Anyway, okay, I don't I feel think like we. This... I was thinking we did a great job with this week's episode, but but it's putting people to sleep. Here she is. Wait, she's back. But she is conked out. 
So hopefully we didn't put our audience to sleep. But I don't really have too much critical to say about this one. I tell you what, Marvin fell asleep too while we were talking. Oh, uh -oh. this is great for what it is. Now the question is, it's not the most important, right? So where does this actually belong on the list? Because I I can't poke as many holes in it as others. But does it really belong with Rain Man, Schindler's List, French Connection? Um, The sound. Sound of Can Music is more culturally relevant. What do you think? So, you know how we use Cimarron as the true middle, mm-hmm. right? I think Chicago is the musical version of Cimarron. Like, it is the true middle. The true Although, middle. Is Chicago is, is Chicago better than Mutiny on the Bootney? I would argue yes. Yes. Oh, no. Oh, no. Is it better than The Sound of Music? I would argue no. Oh, I believe it's better than The Sound of Music, but The Sound of Music is much more important, so it has to be higher. I could could put it below Mutiny on the Bounty and above You Can't Take It With You and be okay with that. No, that's that's where I am, because I hit Mrs. Miniver, and we can't put it below that. So, and it's better better than Marty. Too important. I love You Can't Take It With You. I think we should revisit it because we watched that. Oh, my gosh, Dan. I was thinking about this before we logged on. We've been doing this for like three years now. Mm-hmm. Over three years. Almost three and a half. Isn't that wild? Three and a half we now. Like been, we've been on such a journey, you and I. We've taken some breaks, but uh, we, we could have done it quicker, but we're still here. And we yeah, are we within... month break that one We are time. within 20 of the goal. So we're, we are... I... I long ago divided this into seasons the first season was the early films and the golden age the second season was the uh, new hollywood and the blockbuster era and kate we only have one more episode to go before we end the blockbuster era and we enter the modern era so oh god we're we're turning the corner here but then what do we do once we hit like do we just start doing specialty episodes? Like, I know there's a Top Gun episode in our future. Well, Kate, watch we're, we're about a year away from that problem. So we will figure that out in 2023. I guess. Okay. Well, this was fun. I'm glad we did this. As always, it's like a, a fun little thing. Yeah. Thank, um, thank you all for being here. Thanks, especially to Chaz Hearn for his intro and outro music. It's been a while since we've thanked Chaz. And Andre Perez for uh, the logo art, wherever he may be. Um, yeah. Coming, coming up next time, Kate, 2003's Return of the King, which means uh, we're going to be watching Return of the King, but we're also going to need to prepare oh, and watch the God. first and second. And we might, we might have a special guest star uh, who we've never had on the podcast before. Uh, we'll have to see if our um, timing works out. Uh, to, to I'm really nervous about all this. Give I'm going to have to, and I am going to have, it's not like those, it's not like the other times where like, I would have to like, tend to say I was going to watch the other movies and then not like I'm actually going to have to watch these okay Us. me and and the potential special guests could do this episode immediately in our sleep um, so you're, you're welcome well, to I'm... contribute in any way or not way that you want for this next one but we're not messing I think, around I think, with Return of the King I think maybe what I'll do is just like like throw in stuff and frustrate you both I think that's you hear that special guest should be like <laughs> I liked him he was the villain Kate <laughs> Well, I thought he was with them. No. Isn't he funny? Don't you love his beard? Well, be prepared to see the most aggressive eating of tomatoes you've ever seen in your life when you watch Return of the King. 
I'm very excited to do that, as always. <laughs> that's coming up next for episode 76. But for now, that's all we've got on Chicago. I'm Dan. And I'm Kate. And we will see you next time. From now on, I'll go my own way.